You guys can open up to 1 Samuel chapter 7. Taking a break from the book of Exodus today. Just for a little bit. We'll be right back in there next week. But you guys can open up to 1 Samuel chapter 7. Man, what a morning. It's really great to be here. This is really something to stand up here. And uh, I'm not used to being on a stage. So this is different for me. We'll see how this goes. Uh, this, is, this feels really, really different. As we get into this today, really what I wanted to do this morning is I just wanted to take just a minute to pause and to consider uh, what, what God has done, what God is doing in our midst, and make sure that we, uh, we celebrate and we consider things uh, the way that we should. And so um, this morning, that's what we're going to do. We're just going to take a look at, at 1 Samuel, and we're going we're gonna to thank God for what he's done as we go through this. And I wonder, you guys, are you ever out and about somewhere? You're at Food City, you're at Walmart. You see somebody that you know, you look over to them and you, uh, you wave, and they wave back, and then you start to kind of like go to them like, hey, how you doing? And then you realize they were actually waving at the person behind you. Does that happen to you? That happens to me a lot. I don't know if it's because I'm a pastor, so I feel like I kind of know people, and then I kind of don't know some people that have come or that I've seen around or I've known through other circles or whatever, but that happens a lot. You do the... Oh, not me. Sorry. You, you see them waving and, and then that happens. Uh, there's nothing that can make you feel more completely insignificant than when that happens. That makes you feel like you are about this big whenever that happens. Because you realize they weren't, you didn't matter at all to them. They, they just cared about the person behind you. But the, re- the reverse of that can be true too. When I lived in Kentucky, uh, I used to coach high school baseball for a couple of seasons. I loved it. It was great. It was a ton of fun. I was the head JV coach for Christian Academy of Louisville, and I loved my guys. My guys were my team. They did some amazing uh, things there. And uh, the, the first year, though, being a part of that, my JV guys would listen to me because I was the head coach, and I could decide on whether or not they had uh, playing time or not. So they would do what I wanted them to do. It's amazing how that works when you control playing time, how much they do what uh, is, is supposed to be. And the problem is the varsity guys, not so much. The varsity guys realized I had zero control over the playing time that they had. And so when we had a combined practice and I would have to run some drills and do some different things, I, I was not able to uh, have the same kind of authority and command the same kind of audience with those guys. And I remember once that we had a, uh, a drill that I was running with the catchers. It's called a block-up drill where these guys had to, they have to go down on their knees. They have to block a ball up. And I'm literally throwing a baseball at these guys. That's, that's, that's the way the drill works. I'm throwing a baseball at these guys and they're going, down and blocking it up and the, the catchers that I had I had six catchers that were there three were my JV guys three were varsity guys and they wanted to be anywhere else but there it's not a fun drill you can imagine getting a baseball thrown at you is not that much fun they did not enjoy what they were doing uh, at all and you could tell so I would be throwing stuff at them and they would kind of halfway go down kind of halfway go for it lazily get up and pick up the balls when it was time to pick up the balls and about halfway through the drill, I realized that my JV guys were doing well. My varsity guys, they really weren't doing much. And then the varsity guys suddenly kind of started picking things up. My varsity guys started doing things a little bit, a little bit better, a little bit faster, a little bit quicker. They were giving a little more effort. They were diving after balls. They were stopping balls. They were letting go. They were taking them off the chest, off the face, doing all the things that they're supposed to do. And I was trying to figure out... Because about halfway through the drill, I had changed my tactics a little bit. I had gotten a little bit firmer, a little bit, a little bit more of the bad coach. That's not really the way that, that, that's my style, but I would gotten a little more yelling at them a little bit more, getting after them, and they started responding. And I thought, you know what? 
not so bad at this coaching thing. Maybe this is Maybe this has got a future for me. These guys are responding to my coaching. I really am a good coach. Until when the drill was over and I turned around and I realized that the varsity coach had stepped in behind me, about 10 yards behind me, and began watching the drill halfway through. And so what had happened is they saw the varsity coach come over there and they said, I don't give a rip about what the JV coach thinks, but I do care what he thinks. And so they started actually hustling a little bit and getting after it. It changed, but not because of me. It changed because of the person that was standing behind me. It changed because someone behind me had authority, and someone behind me is who they were really worried about. Halfway through the drill, they realized they were being evaluated, and I, too, was being evaluated, but I had no idea. It wasn't my great coaching that got these, these kids to make it to the next level and dig in deep and find out that they could really do it. My coaching had nothing to do with it at all. And this is a scene that the Bible replicates time after time after time. It's a, it's a scene that you see all throughout Scripture. And I want to look at one story like that today where that, that will be kind of our guide for the rest of the time this morning where, where some guys kind of thought they were doing something great, but it turns out it really wasn't them at all. And there were some people there to make sure that they knew it. So 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 5. I'm going to read this here, and then we'll summarize a little bit of what's going on. 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 5. And then Samuel said, Gather all Israel at, at Mizpah, and I will pray, for the, pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered at Mizpah, and they drew water and poured it out before the Lord, and fasted on that day, and said there, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the people of Israel at Mizpah. Now, when the Philistines heard that the people of Israel had gathered there at Mitzpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the people of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the people of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. So Samuel took a nursing lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. So we'll stop right there for just a minute. So quickly, let's summarize a little background of what's going on here and what this story is about. This story takes place amidst the drama of the stolen Ark of the Covenant. You know, Raiders of the Lost Ark, the Ark of the Covenant, that whole thing. It had been stolen from Israel by the Philistines, and this is kind of in the midst of what is going on. And we'll talk about uh, this Ark of the Covenant a lot as we get into the book of Exodus. But for now, for this story, all you need to know is that this Ark had been stolen. And what had happened is Israel had taken the ark into battle against the Philistines as though it were kind of like a good luck charm. They'd said, all right, God has given so much power into this thing. Let's bring it with us. And if we have the ark with us, surely God will deliver us and he will give us victory in the battle. And what happened is they got into the battle and they got their tails whipped and the ark got stolen. It was taken from them by the Philistines. And God really sent judgment upon the the people of Israel because of the way they were using the ark as though it were just a good luck charm. So they got got whipped, the Philistines took it, and then once the Philistines took it, they realized, hey, we don't need to mess with this thing because chaos basically started happening within the Philistine camp. People started dying. People were, all kinds of crazy things were happening uh, at, that, at that time. And, and the Philistines realized it's tied to this ark that they had stolen. And they said, we don't want to have anything to do with this. And so literally what they did is they took the ark, they put it on a cart, and then they strapped the cart to two oxen and they sent it down the road. 
They didn't want to even send anybody with it. They just said, go that way, and eventually you'll run into uh, the people of Israel, and they can have that thing. Wherever you go, just get it out of here. We don't want it. So that's basically uh, what they did. So the ark made it back to Israel, and Samuel takes this opportunity when the ark returns to call the people of Israel to repent. To say, look, God's given us another chance by bringing the ark back to us. Let's repent. Let's consider what God has done. Now that the ark is back, let's all agree not to be stupid again in the future. Let's all agree not to be dumb. And then they say, okay, and they repent. They offer a sacrifice. They return to God. They tell Samuel, look, we've messed up. We want to return to God. Offer a sacrifice on our behalf. And they do all the things that they're supposed to do. Everything that, that would be like, this is what is laid out for them, prescribed for them. They do all of those things, and God hears them, and he honors them. But things don't get immediately better just because they did all the right things. They did all the right things, but that doesn't clear up all the potential problems that were still there. Let's keep reading in verse 10. As Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel. But the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion. And they were defeated before Israel. And the men of Israel went from Mitzpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them as far below as beth So we'll stop there. In spite of doing everything right, the Philistines still come and attack them. They did just what they were commanded to, but things still went terribly bad. The Philistines decided that they didn't want the ark but they did want some revenge. And so they came to attack, but not just attack in a, hey, let's go to battle. They came to attack when they knew Israel was going to be distracted. When Israel was in this, this time of repentance and they were, they, were, they were doing these things, this is when the Philistines attacked because it would be a surprise to them and they would know that they could catch Israel off guard. They would be essentially defenseless. They were toast. And they were, compl- they were caught completely off guard by this. They were doing everything right, but the attack still came. The battle was essentially lost almost as soon as it began, until God showed up on the scene. So the attack happens, they're in trouble, and then all of a sudden you get uh, God showing up, and when he shows up, he thunders and it scares the Philistines to death. I don't know what kind of thunderstorm that was. I've been in a few, but I don't know that I've been in a few that would completely terrify an entire army. There's been a few, but this is apparently what happened. So this thunderstorm starts happening, scares them to death. They get all confused. It becomes chaos in the Philistine camp. And the people of Israel take that opportunity to attack, kill the Philistines, win the battle, and begin to chase the last few remaining Philistines away. So here Israel has this ark that has caused so much chaos, and now it seems like they can control the weather too. You can imagine how the Philistines would have been scared by this, how they would have been terrified. The thunder claps, the winds howl, and the Philistines fall apart. And then they get to the end, and you can almost hear the, the, the people of Israel yelling, you know, like, yeah, you guys better run, you just keep on going. If, if, it, weren't, if it weren't for this or for that, we'd come after you, but we'll let you go this time. Just don't make the same mistake twice don't come back or i won't be as nice next time you can almost kind of hear them ready to to taunt the philistines in this way that's human nature when something happens that's good we like to be able to step back and consider and to say look at what we did look at this wonderful battle that we won look at how we came back and fought against them they thought they had us but we came back and we fought 
and they won. This is what we do. This is the human nature of it. And Israel had every right to do this, right? I mean, think about what they did. They fought the battle. They killed the enemy. It was their shields. It was their swords. It was their skill that won the battle. But Samuel, before they can even begin to get those words out of their mouth, Samuel comes and refuses to let these men do that. He knew where the battle was won on this day. And it wasn't with the men of Israel. Look on verse 12, how Samuel responds. Verse 12, Then Samuel took a stone, and he set it up at Mitzpah, and, and Shin, and called its name Ebenezer. For he said, Till now the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and did not again enter the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. So Samuel quickly shuts down the triumphant after party before the DJ can get the first song playing. And he says, we'll have no part in celebrating this victory as if we have done anything great. Don't begin to pat yourselves on the back. You see, Samuel's kind of like the guy that's sitting on the side watching what's going on. And he sees, he wasn't a commander of the army. He kind of sits back and he sees what's happening. And he can see the whole picture. And he can see the battle that's going on. And he can see that God is the one that is standing behind the helpless Israelites uh, controlling the events of the battle. He can see that even though Israel is fighting the fight and thinks they are winning the war, it is actually God who is standing behind them that is the one that is controlling the events, that is intimidating the Philistines, that is winning the battle. He sees how the Philistines begin to fall apart and retreat, not because of the might of the Israelites, but because God was the one that was at work the whole time. Samuel, in effect, tells the guys, don't get too full of yourselves. Turn around and look at who's standing behind you. Turn around and see what the Philistines were really afraid of. It wasn't you guys. They're not running from you. They're running because they're terrified of the power and the might of God. He wants to remind the Israelites just how they got where they are. And Samuel wants to memorialize this moment. So he places a stone. It's called an Ebenezer, an Ebenezer stone. Not Ebenezer Scrooge, totally different thing. It's an Ebenezer stone. We sing the song, we'll sing it today, Come Thou Fountain, there's a line in there, and it says, Here I raise my Ebenezer. And a lot of people are like, what are we talking about there? What does that mean? This is what it comes from. It's from this right here. It's a stone of help, an Ebenezer stone. It's a memorial that says, Here is where God did something great. We will make a memorial of this. We will place an Ebenezer stone that will remind us of what God did on this day, that will remind us of the battle that we won, not because of our might, but because God thundered mightily, because God stood behind us, and it terrified the Philistines. This is what Samuel does, and he puts it in a place that would cause everyone to stop and remember what God had done in delivering them that day. Last week, we talked about the importance of the need to remember This idea that Scripture continually conveys over and over and over again. Don't forget. Remember what the Lord your God has done. Remember the Lord your God in your youth. Remember the Lord your God in your old age. Remember the Lord your God. Over and over and over you see this refrain throughout the Old Testament. And this is another way that the Bible talks about remembering. By putting a tangible, visible reminder for all to see. 
So this Ebenezer stone, we don't know what it looks like, we don't know how big it was, but you can imagine just a big memorial that is out there. This stone would serve three primary purposes that all, that it would serve three primary purposes in in where it is placed so that when it is built, when it is there, all would remember this. The first thing it would do is it would remind those present that day of the day that God delivered them. So it would remind those who were there that day of what God had done and how God had delivered them. Samuel would not allow Israel to toot their own horn and claim their own victory. He would not allow Israel to go in that direction and to do those things. He forced them to humble themselves and realize that it was the one who stood behind them that really won that victory. So that's the first thing that Ebenezer Stone would do. It would cause everyone who was there to be able to look at that stone and be like, I remember when that happened. I was there. I remember that day. We were goners. We were, we were about to be wiped away. They had caught us by surprise. We were busy worshiping over here. We had no idea they were coming. We should have been dead. But God. God showed up. And I remember that day because I was there. It's important to realize that we were not the ones that did it. There's two reasons that it's important for us to realize that we were not the ones who did it. This is what Israel would know. One, because if you know that you're not the one that won the battle, then you don't start picking fights that you can't win just because you thought you were great in the first place. It keeps you humble. It keeps you focused. It keeps you on mission. It doesn't allow you to start chasing other things because you think you are so mighty. It keeps you in your place where you're supposed to be going because you will only go where you know you can go and what you can do. And the second reason that it's important for those people that day to know that that God was the one that, that delivered them in that battle is because God deserves the glory that is due him. Because God deserves the glory that is due him. The people of Israel don't get the glory for winning that battle. God gets the glory for winning that battle. To claim a victory for themselves when God was the one that did it would rob God of his appropriate glory. It is the height of arrogance and the height of ignorance. And this Ebenezer stone helps to make sure that the glory goes to the one whom the glory is due the second, the second purpose that this Ebenezer stone would serve is that it would remind future generations of how God had delivered them on that day. The stone would sit in a place that would be visible to the whole community, to the, to the whole group, and, and it would be placed in, in, in a way so that others would walk by it, and it would be this constant testimony to what God had done on that day. To those that weren't even there that day, that stone, that memorial would allow them to say, God did this. He delivered our, our mothers and our fathers, our, our grandmothers and our grandfathers, He delivered those that came before us. We know that God works and we know that God has done something amazing here because this stone would remind them of that. It would tell the story about a great, a powerful, and a mighty God who acted on behalf of His people. The stone is there for those who were there that day and it is also there for those who were far off. And the third thing that this stone would do is it would tell outsiders of how God had delivered them. 
It would tell outsiders of how God had worked that day. It would be a testimony to all who would seek to attack Israel, to all who would want to come after Israel to say, look, this has happened before. If you would like to come and challenge us, come on. But you should know they didn't win before when they had every advantage. So weigh your options carefully. Don't come after us if you don't want to be defeated. Not because we are great, but because we have a great God on our side. It was a testimony to those outside of Israel. It tells others they would do well to humble themselves and retreat from battle. If God had shown up once, certainly he could do it again. The Ebenezer Stone gives God the glory due to his name, to those that don't even know his name. It is a tool to tell others of how great the God of Israel is. This morning, as we stand here in this building, in this place, after this long journey to reach this milestone, we too can and very much should look at this building as an Ebenezer stone for us. It is how we can say that it is by His help that we have come this far. I love how it's worded there in the ESV. Look again in verse 12. Verse 12, it says, Till now the Lord has helped us. Till now, the Lord has helped us. The implication is that they desperately need God to continue that help. That it has happened so far, and then we will trust Him to do it in the future. It does not say, God is our help and will help us no matter what. It says, till now, God has helped us, and we will celebrate that. And the implication is that we need Him to continue to help us. And so it is with us. God has brought us here, but we dare not go anywhere if we don't continue on his path. If this building is to serve as our Ebenezer stone, it must be something that we want to see value in when we see it. That whenever we look at this place, when we walk around here and we say, man, this is great, this is so much fun, so glad that we're here, we don't think we've arrived, we've succeeded, we've done great things here. Samuel wouldn't allow the Israelites that kind of thinking, and neither can we. We have to look at this building for these same three purposes that the people of Israel would have used that Ebenezer stone. One, it should remind us today, the people in this room here on day one, it should remind us of God's faithfulness and his goodness to his people. Eight plus years of set up and tear down is hard on people. It's hard on backs, it's hard on knees. It's hard on egos, it's hard on patience, it's hard on a lot of things. It's hard on all of us after a while in different ways. And it is right for us to celebrate today. We want to strike a balance between being able to celebrate what God has done without pretending that this building is the end-all, be-all. But make no mistake, it is right for us to celebrate here today. And celebrate we do. It is by God's help that we got here. We definitely needed someone over our shoulder to stare down challenges because I can tell you multiple times over the last several years and the last several months that I've flinched a lot. I've flinched a lot. I would love to say that I was your fearless leader and I had done all these wonderful things and I said, charge into battle with no fear whatsoever. But I can tell you when the bullets fly, I flinch. At least most of the time. I can tell you that your elders have flinched. 
If we just knew how long this was going to take and how much it would have cost, we would have flinched. But God has brought us here. The reality is, y'all might have flinched too. But God stood over our shoulder, and our challenges melt like wax before Him. And now we are here. Today, God has been good to us. I have no idea what tomorrow holds. But today, God has been good to us. And today, we celebrate. The second thing that this building should do for us as our Ebenezer stone is that it should, it should help those that come after us to know God. This building is a great investment for us today. But as we think about those rooms that are probably overflowing with kids right now, and we consider the makeup of this church, I've talked about this before. If you read church materials, a six-to-one ratio of adults to kids is a healthy, vibrant church. We are like two-to-one. It's crazy. We have a lot of kids. And that's not just because of the Rossers and the Smiths. That's because we have a lot of kids. There's a lot of kids, and it's great, and we celebrate that. It is a wonderful thing. I love it that there are kids everywhere out there, and I love it that we have people that love those kids desperately. This building is an investment in the next generation. I don't have to tell you that this building will eventually rust and turn to dust. If you look at the roof, it already is. So I don't have to convince you that that will one day happen. But the truths taught from this stage and in those classrooms in the coming days, weeks, months, and years, that stuff does not rust. It will last forever. And that is part of what this building must serve us That stuff lasts forever because it's about a God that has no end and never changes. This building, this place has an end. It will change. It will be torn down one day. But God never changes and He has no end. And that is what we teach about. A God who is forever. We will spend our lives here at Providence Church in this building as long as God would have us here laying up treasures in a place where moth and rust cannot destroy because those truths are imperishable. This building is a tool for us to disciple these kids and to help them know Jesus better. To that end, this building is an Ebenezer because it allows us to say that this is a testimony for now and for future generations for us to be able to say God is able and God is glorious. And finally, just as that Ebenezer stone in Israel helped to tell other, others outside of Israel about how great God is, this building should help our community to know God better. We did not move into this building to isolate ourselves and hold up Bible studies. This is not our, our little huddle to gather into around these walls and feel safe. This is our launching pad. This sends us out into the community. This should be a tool to enable us to do more for this community. This is our launching pad. It must be a tool for us to help figure out how to reach this community better. Some people won't believe that we're a church until we have a building. Now we can take that obstacle away. Some people won't come to a church that's not in a building because they're afraid there's no stability there. We can take that obstacle away. 
We know that this church isn't this building, but these people, you, us, we are the church. That doesn't change just because we now have a building. As much as I can, I will forever refer to this as the building, not the church. It is not the church, and our terminology should match our theology. So we're here at the building, and that's what I'll call it. You can say you're coming to the church, that's fine. But the reality is you are the church. That doesn't change at all. We know that this building can be a tool to help us reach this community better through better outreach, through more stability, through new classes, through ministry partnerships with with other ministries, whether it's at Carson Newman or in this community. All these things have a greater chance to flourish here, and this is why we have pursued it. The location is strategic. It's visible. We already have given out more in benevolence in the the last few months than we've given out in, in previous years. Just because it's here and people see it. That's a great way for us to be able to help others. It's still centrally located to to different communities that we draw from to to make up our body from Dandridge, Morristown, Newmarket, Jeff, all these different places. We're still here located in this place where people can come. We're still here close to Carson Newman where we can continue our ministry to Carson Newman students. This building is our Ebenezer. And we hope, by God's help and to his glory, to help those that are far from him to know how great he is. That's what we want this building to serve as. So this morning, we raise our Ebenezer stone. We say that it is by God's help and by God's grace that we have come this far. And we want to end this morning by uh, really another version of an Ebenezer stone, a tangible reminder of God's grace and his mercy, a tangible reminder that shouts God's faithfulness to us in a way that no building ever can, in a way that no building that will eventually be gone ever can, but in a salvation that can never be taken away. So this morning, the elements for the Lord's Supper are at the back of the room They are there. We will take the Lord's Supper like we always have in the same kind of way. If you are a Christian, the the table is open for you. You are welcome to take the elements. If you're here and you're not a Christian, if you're not a follower of Christ, then we would ask that you abstain, that you just stay away from that. Just sit quietly at your seat. No one will judge you. There will be others that will be sitting there. But we're going to take the Lord's Supper, and we're going to take the Lord's Supper because so much more than a building— the body broken, the blood spilt, taking the Lord's Supper in remembrance of him, that is truly our Ebenezer stone to say our salvation is by God's grace and his grace alone. It's by his help that we have this. So this morning I'm going to pray. We're going to end. I'm going to invite you guys to take the, uh, to take the Lord's Supper to, get, to go and do that, and then we will end by singing a song. So will you pray with me? Father, this morning our confession is that we are here by your grace alone. That as we have fought our battles, as we have pursued you over so many years in the past, it has been you standing over our shoulder that has fought those battles ahead of us and that has given us any measure of victory we have found. We do not trust in our own strength. We do not trust in our own works. We trust in you and you alone. Father, we celebrate this morning. 
it is good and it is right for us to do so because you have given a great gift. But Father, may we be good stewards of that gift. Father, may we not think that we have arrived, but that the work has just begun. The work that will never end until we, year, until we see your face. And even then, it will go on until eternity to glorify your name. Help us to do that well this morning and from this place. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.